Hello, and welcome to the SBS Cycling Central podcast. Today, among other topics, we're going to welcome in a new Cycling Australia chairman. That would be Steve Brax. And we're here to give him some gratuitous advice on what should be done to cycling in Australia. Uh, we're going to talk some bike racing, of course, as usual, and we're going to take a quick look at what is quickly becoming a very interesting Tour de France lineup. And perhaps we'll make a few comments about Perko the Rusky, the turncoat racing for the Russians instead of Australia. Australia. That's right. But first, uh, I'd like to profile some of the events we have coming up here on SBS Cycling and some that we won't because a few of you have asked uh, out there. Um, first, uh, I guess the bad news, we will not be broadcasting any of the Italian races in 2017, which sadly includes the 100th edition of the Giro d'Italia. Oh, man. And that includes Strade Bianchi, Milan oh. Sanremo. Join in, guys. Give and a the Giro di Lombardia. Why? Quite simply, the rights were not offered to us in 2017. And that's the way the business rolls, and there isn't much we can do about it except to look forward. However, we have diversified and increased our coverage in other ways. We're going to broadcast the Track Nats live. Well, sorry, we're going to stream the Track, track Nats live in exactly one week. That's Thursday to Sunday next week. Uh, maybe via the website or perhaps directly on Facebook. Uh, we haven't quite decided yet. Um, a few technical details to trash out uh, on that one. Uh, we're going to be showing the Cannes MTB World Championships uh, later on this year as well. That's going to be live on TV and streaming online, of course. And we're also going to be doing the BMX Worlds. And when it comes to classics, uh, we've added the Eschborn Frankfurt, uh, which is one of the biggest German, uh, German races, um, which is going to round out our spring coverage. It's going to finish up towards the end of our, our spring classics coverage. And that, of course, includes Tour of Flanders, Paris-Roubaix, Amstel Gold, Flèche Wallonne, and Liège-Bastogne-Liège. But before we get there, we have Paris-Nice, which starts the same weekend as the track nets finish. And later on in the year, we're going to have Criterium Dauphine, which uh, comes before the Tour. In May, we'll be doing the Tour of California, which is now a World Tour race. We're also going to be doing 30-minute highlights of the Apps to Cape Epic, which I'm personally very excited about because I kind of like mountain biking. And then post-Tour, we'll have the final stage of the Vuelta, España. And, of course, there'll be some World Championship stuff as well to go along with that. So while we may have lost some of the Italian races, we've actually increased uh, our cycling coverage in other ways. Um, and there'll be highlights of other stuff, and we've got the magazine shows In Cycle and Vox Women to add to that on weekends. So there's a lot happening, but sadly, no Giro. That's the longest intro ever. Well, well done, Phil. Sorry right. to interrupt with my little cheering. That was me in the middle. I, I knew, <laughs> yes. Okay, we'll be back in one second. I'm Philip Gomes, and with me today are the usual suite of mouthpieces. Biggest among them, Anthony Tan. Thank you, Phil. Well, actually, when you said, here's the bad news, you actually looked at me. I thought it was seriously um, not not showing the Giro's far worse than me being in this studio. <laughs> 
And of course, uh, Jamie Finch Penninger. Yeah, I'm I'm very disappointed about the Giro. There's some great racing the last couple of years. In fact, um, at the Giro, um, some of the best Grand Tour racing we've seen. But um, onwards and upwards, of course. And obviously, the Tour de France is still on the menu, and that's the big draw card. So, anyway, continue. And Rob Arnold from Ride Media. Thanks for having me back. I thought I talked too much last time, or tried to MC it, or whatever. But anyway, it it's was good to be here. It was a takeover. It's a bit of a shame to be down in the catacombs of SBS because it is such a lovely day outside. Have yeah. you noticed? I've been on the bike. I've been loving it. Yes. Anyone else? Paddling anyone? There's anyone? no sunshine in my cubicle. <laughs> okay, let's get ready to ramble. Um, Cycling Australia has a new chairman, uh, Steve Brax, who is, obviously, is very well known in Australia. Uh, via politics, he was the Premier of Victoria, Australia's second largest state in terms of GDP and a whole bunch of other things. The home of good coffee and great cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, the ex-Premier rides himself. He does, what, I think he said about 150k a week. Just bashes around, typical mammal stuff. Is he on Strava? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not, so I wouldn't know. Right. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Anyway. But, you know, he's, he's well kitted out. Mm. Um, he sits on many boards um, in his uh, post, uh, post-political career. So he has the whole, ma- the whole board thing down. He understands governance, et cetera, et cetera. It's hard to find, it's hard to think of a better candidate than Steve Brax, to be quite honest. But mm. there's a lot on his plate. Mm. Doesn't it continue, though, this whole you've been going on about, Phil, the Victorian-centric theme? I mean, <laughs> but if he manages to, I, I don't know, do we expect him to lift Cycling Australia out of the financial doldrums? Well, I think he's, he's going to continue a process which which has been ongoing. I mean, they've eaten, in, eaten into the hole that they were... Uh, Sorry, they managed to fill some of the hole that they were in. Mm. And I, as far as I'm aware, they've been running an operating profit, even though they're, they're still technically a long way behind. Long way behind. Um, Rob, you know, do you have a take on, on Brax and, and where we, what we can do here? I think it's, uh, I mean, you've got to be optimistic. Some people were suggesting yesterday when the announcement was made that, oh, no, it's, not an, it's another non-bike rider. I don't think there needs to be a bike rider in that position. Mm. I think there needs to be someone with the knowledge of cycling. And Steve was the chairman of um, the committee, the organising committee for the World Championships in 2010. And I did an interview with him back in 2009 when it was announced that he would do the, uh, the World Championships. And I put that up again yesterday just as a flashback, just to give a little bit of background on what he does. So if you want to have a look at Ride Media, it's there. Um, but I think one thing that strikes me as odd, and just to get the conversation started, when they did the, the announcement, they called him the chair. What happened to chairman? Are we uh, just just to be pedantic. What's the story with chair versus chairman? What's the process? I'm not it's, on a board. It's, it's a new world now, yeah. and uh, so it's just the chair. We don't we don't add those appellations, man, woman. Okay, it's just the chair. But when you call him the chair, yes. Anthony, are you comfortable with that? Not really. I mean, I, I've never <laughs> liked even. I, I don't like inanimate objects. I much prefer. Socializing, yeah, so it's, it's it's about the whole equity, the whole equity thing. That's what it's all about. Okay. So okay, just was yeah. curious. Thanks for answering that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, j- he yeah, did make some speeches yesterday, and then I posted a follow up to my uh, flashback, saying, "Isn't it interesting that a lot of the sentiment issued in the the three sound bites that were uh, broadcast by Cycling Australia pretty much echoed the sentiment of an open letter I wrote in October." And that wasn't to, to be egotistical, but it was to say it's great that he understands that there's real um, 
There's challenges. a real need. Yeah, there's challenges, obviously, but there's a need to foster the grassroots, which is something that I've been harping on about for the last few months, and not necessarily take a complete uh, backward step from elite competition, but to really focus on what funds cycling in Australia in terms of membership, and that is people with enthusiasm who are coming through and and, and really loving cycling because riding a bike's good and then they want to go and race it. Yeah. I don't know, Jamie sees more well, of the grassroots Jamie, than you, anyone. You, yeah, you've spent a lot of time on the ground uh, with local racing, especially mm. particularly around the National Road Series, um, which is going to need a bit of uh, a bit of help, really, in the next uh, couple of years. Your take on, on Brax? Oh, he's saying all the right things, and we've seen this for a long time, actually. Um, I was just looking at... Uh, a letter sent out by Nick Green to the um, NRS stakeholders, I think was the official title of the letter, and and it was saying interesting things and in particular was saying that they want to um, broaden the scope of the NRS to attract international competitors and international viewership. And I was like, well, yeah, sure, that's a great idea, but uh, realistically at this stage, how achievable is that? And there was no steps along that path to achieving that. So I think that's the next step of what we need to see. We need to have the, the right ideas, the right vision, but we need to have something concrete in place to say, okay, yes, this is how we're going to achieve it. And, of course, to go along with uh, with the NRS, you know, he's going to have to look at the consolidation of all the disciplines under one under one tent. Is that a good thing? So bringing, bringing BMX uh, and mountain biking, et cetera, all under one roof, because right now they sit in different places. In many ways, there's, multiple, there's a, like a, a couple of layers of management uh, of these events, one at the elite end with, uh, with CA and then another at the grassroots end you know, with MTBA and also BMX Australia. Mm. Um, I don't that, think is, that's such a bad thing, Phil, because, you know, mountain bike, has off you know has suffered we all know from the lack of funding for i don't know what is the last eight years now or something like that i mean we, we're constantly being told about you know the i don't know if there is even a high performance program there anymore it's it's or it's self-funded so no, it's. I think it's a good thing. But would that would that in some ways? I think the danger in in, in consolidation, though, in some ways, is you're rating memberships for money. Mm. So the money comes into CA, and CA has not shown in the past that that it's willing to distribute the funds to the to the to these minor sports. So there's a danger where a lot of that funding will end up being funneled into the elites in road cycling and track. I think it needs to start from government, and the government needs to recognise what I keep. Another thing I keep harping on about is that sports not only about the Olympics. And I think that there's a big problem with the distribution of funding in this country because so much of the focus on elites, on sport funding, goes to uh, Olympic-related events. Like So when BMX came into the, into the Olympics in 2008, there was a big injection of cash into that program and similarly with mountain biking in, uh, in Atlanta. Um, and I just wish that they would just start funding the events which... Or, or the sports which have the participation... You know, if you go around any out on any weekend, you see heaps of road cyclists, no doubt. Where if you go on the, the trails, there's mountain bikers everywhere, and it is such a growing community. And I've been on the mountain bike and loving it. And I just, uh, I, I can see so many benefits for the myriad of ways that you can ride a mountain bike. But then, because it's only cross country that's in the Olympics, then they have this sort of pigeonholed approach, and I find that really irritating. Yeah, because when you look at many of the mountain bike events that are held over weekends, for example, they've got hundreds and hundreds of competitors in mm -hmm. those events, more than you would find at say 
a, a track event when, somewhere exactly. or or even a, just a general road event. I mean, right. the, the participation numbers are incredible. Yeah. So, you know, what uh, what is he going to do? I mean, there needs there needs to be a balance somehow engineered. Yeah, I think I think a lot of this comes down to what the uh, ASC, the Australian Sports Commission, wants to do with with funding um, these days. Uh, uh, just to play devil's advocate to your point, Rob, about funding grassroots over elite, I, I'm very much on your side, by the way. Um, but the Australian public, you know, demands a certain level of of excellence from Australia in the Olympics. We saw that that was the reason behind the whole um, funding. Um, splurge that we put mm. into sport but um i think it was montreal olympics we didn't get any gold and since then there's been the ais there's been um targeted funding towards australia getting those gold medals and it's seen australia rise up the rankings in terms of world sport and i think it's something that is part of the national culture and it's part of something we're very proud of as as a nation that we do well against um the bigger countries in terms of sporting competitions but i do agree that Fundamentally, um, grassroots makes more sense. You're building, you're building if, things from, if the, from the bottom. If ten people participate, yeah. then you have a chance of getting ten participants, yeah. uh, and one of which may go on to win an Olympic gold medal. If a hundred people participate, your percentages are better, and all the health outcomes <laughs> so, yeah. and all and all the supporter outcomes that you get from that as well. I mean, the people who um, who ride. Um, ride on you know in competitive events in non-competitive events mm. they're more likely to follow the the um, sport at a higher level an mm. elite level and yeah you just get so many flow on effects from that so well like you said the, the asc is pivotal in this because they allocate funding so i spoke with uh, matt favia who was the who was the acting head of asc in january and then he's been uh, replaced by kate palmer mm-hmm. who was from netball she started at the end of january a great appointment by the way and uh, I've, I've tried to speak with her. I've put in a call and a request for an interview and I look forward to hearing what her take is on things. When I was talking to Matt Favier, I was harking back to the good old days of Norm. I think, did I bring this up last week or the last podcast? No. But, the, you know, remember the Life Be In It campaign? Oh, yes. And I think that that's sort of something that... Uh, particularly with the rise in diabetes and the, the epidemic of, uh, that we see with, um, with obesity in this country, I think that the Sports Commission needs to start sort of recognising what component it can play in that. And so it's, that's a huge, much larger philosophical discussion that can go on for hours. But my take is that the, the funding model needs to account for grassroots, but also just sheer exercise and the encouragement of exercise. So that happens through grassroots, but also through, as Jamie points out, the um, inspiration or the aspiration that something like the Olympics can hold. But, yeah, and so, I don't know. It's a, it's a quandary and it's, there's a reason why there's politicians called in to try and find solutions. But hopefully Steve Brax can go to the ASC and make a point and say, come on, guys, now is the time. Rio was a whatever, came and it went and didn't really have an impact on my life. But that's me. Uh, but it's a lesson. Yes, and I think... Brax uh, will will obviously look to try and bring some of that funding that was cut by the ASC for cycling, mm-hmm. bring that back into the picture. I was at the ASC Awards Night uh-huh. last week. Oh, right. Believe it or not, we were up for an award. Oh, did yeah. you win? Digital digital coverage of a sport. No, we didn't. We got trashed by Channel 7. Where was this? And their Olympics of coverage. Yeah. You know, Bruce McAvaney and. Uh-huh. The, the Olympics coverage was good on digital side, actually. I'll say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was. I mean, we, we weren't. We weren't. Believe me, we were not expecting to win the award this year because Olympic coverage you never do. So you mm. know. 
but still it was interesting to be there and i had some i did have one or two conversations about this kind of topic okay the asc is actually spending uh, a lot of time and effort now on trying to link grassroots to high performance because that is that is the problem with their funding model is that there's no linkage that's right right and there's also no proof that uh, that funding high performance has a knock-on effect or a flow-on effect or a trickle-down effect into grassroots, mm. right? There, it just doesn't exist. So they have to make that linkage, and the only way to do that is to, to develop programs which do that. So that's part of it, but I think but that's for Brax, positive. Yeah, no, it is. It is positive. You can um, only solve a problem when you recognize there's a problem. Yeah, but you know what? There's an elephant in the room, always, mm. and that's the Australian Olympic Committee, which is only about elite sports and about feather bedding the, the Olympic Games. Mm. That's it. But that's, so, they're doing so with government money, which is my money, and I'm saying I don't, I'd rather, you know. Yes. I'm a taxpayer. Yes. You're a taxpayer. Yes. So but, are you saying, Phil, that the fun, you just say, you know, there was that Winnie Edge program, so they, were directing, they yeah. were directing funds towards sports which they thought could win medals. So are you saying that, you know, if someone, well, you know, for example, wins the medal at the Olympics, it doesn't have any effect on, say, the motivation of those at grassroots levels. To, to, to encourage participation. Yes, mm. correct. Mm. There hasn't been a single study globally anywhere that has proven there's a direct link. Oh, I just think the whole thing is risky, not even from just going back that, uh, you know, you put money into sports that you think will win, but as it's shown, I mean, it's just so random that... You, you just can't expect that over an Olympic Games where there's over mm. 200 competing countries that you will win. So, you know, then it's almost, you're almost setting yourself up for failure. For failure. I yeah. put this line so, of debate to Sarah Olmer, who, who made a big impact on New Zealand cycling. And um, she hasn't ridden for years. She's, she's now a mum, she, but she is, remains uh, an advocate for the bike. Obviously, she loves cycling. And she was saying it was interesting, her experience, she broke a world record and won a gold medal in Athens So many years For ago. For those of you who don't know who Sarah is. Uh, she's a fabulous person yep. and she and she's, offers a lot of insight. And she was sort of saying that the impact that the Olympics had on her was both minimal and actually quite significant. But she sort of, uh, I don't think she was terribly fussed about it. And, but she doesn't think that it actually drew people to cycling. She thinks that cycling drew people to cycling. And, and the government in New Zealand seems to be acting on that. And she, she concluded by saying it's damn hard to win Olympic medals. So if that's the only remit, it's, I don't think it's, it's beneficial. I think the remit needs to get to be to stop having people on perfectly beautiful days like today driving maybe five kilometers to work when they could either walk or ride mm. for yep. example yep. there's for many example. other things that could be done yes now one of the things one of the discussion points at the uh, at the sc awards was a lottery system right which of course they would try to start so that would bring big flow of money into into all australian sport because it doesn't matter at the moment we're spending based on, on the british model yes or the based New Zealand on the british, uh, british model i'm assuming uh-huh. Because no matter how much money we, we're pumping into sport at the moment, we're actually going backwards on the Olympic medal table. Right. That's happening. Year, you know, each, each Olympic Games, we're actually falling backwards as more countries step up and start spending more money. There's a direct correlation between how well you do in Olympics and how much money you spend. It's as simple as that. Mm. Um, but Particularly so there has in track cycling. Cycling yeah. and track and field, uh, athletics mm. as well. Mm. So there has to be an end point here. But the problem is, is they don't seem to want to have an end point. So now they want to introduce a lottery. So the money just keeps flowing. But then you... 
you're kind of encouraging people to gamble. Is that really... Well, I don't know. I mean, lotteries are privatised at the moment. Um, you see companies making profits out of people gambling. So, you know, why, did, why shouldn't that go to the public purse instead? True. Okay, I've got to... Uh, here's my take on it. Let's tax sugar and put the sugar tax towards sports funding. Ooh. Why, why isn't that? Um, surely that's a better solution than asking people to gamble. I think I think yeah. the far north Queensland sugar growers will uh, will have a, would like to have a word to. You. I mean, it's been a, in, it was on the front page of the Herald yes, that, yes, that yes. the sugar tax concept. I mean, and and the fact is that it's it is hugely detrimental, and that people are eating too much sugar. Yes. Anyway, we've gone way beyond <laughs> this discussion about Steve Brax. But either way, Bra- uh, is that where we started? Okay. Braxy, we'll call him Braxy from now on because he's, he's, he's that kind of bloke. Let's you call know? him Steve. You want to call him Steve O? Steve O. There's another Steve O in Australian Steve, yeah. cycling. That's right, yeah. Um, and he has a mullet. Either way, the ex Premier's got, uh, got his work cut out for him in dealing with uh, all sorts of stakeholders within the sport, uh, not the least of which is also helping to do something about cycling and outside of Victoria. Give us a call, Steve. We'll have a yeah. chat. We'll definitely like, love to have a chat. Yeah, I'm come sure. into the studio next time we do the podcast. It'd be great. Come on. Can you do? Can you issue that invite, Phil? You're edict? The... An edict. Ed- okay. If that's be here or be square. Is that what it is for a chair? That's right. He can have a chair. The he chair can, have, can have, a chair. have a chair. That's right. Anyway, okay, we'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on to our next I topic. I don't even which... know if anyone cares. No, I think people do care, oh, actually. Okay. Yeah, because people care we, of we, the we, chair. We, yeah. Well, New not chair. about the chair, but about mm. this, this, this topic on on the funding balance in elite sport mm. versus grassroots. And that but sort is of thing, the so. chair, as he, does he have influence or is it still Nick Green who calls the no, shots? No, he's, he's, he's got influence. The board okay. has influence. Okay. Absolutely. Just to be clear. All yeah. right. Uh, anyway, okay. So let's move on to our next topic, uh, which is going to be uh, just very briefly the Tour de France. Uh, overnight, uh, Orica Scott announced that, that the young Colombian Esteban Chavez is going to ride the Tour de France and that the two British riders... The Yates brothers, Adam and Simon, will instead uh, do the Vuelta, or the Giro and Vuelta, and uh, Chavez would also back up and do the Vuelta. Um, I think this is uh, this is obviously good. It's been coming for some time. It's been rumored, etc. So it hasn't been really much no, of a no. secret, but um, it's there now. And Chavez is adding his name to a field that's already looking incredibly good mm. for the Tour de France. I can't remember the last time I've seen so many so many GC riders. Who could win this race or potentially podium? Uh, it, there hadn't been this many. It is it is February, but it, it is the tour, so people love to talk about it. Yes, I'll let you talk for a while. Because if I start, I won't stop. Yes. Uh, well, I'll, I'll say, I thought the Giro lineup is looking about as solid as it has for a long time. So, but I think when what perhaps one of the big things that convince White and Shane Bannon, Matt, that's Matt White and Shane Bannon to put Chavez into the tour was the long time trial in the Giro. So, but then also if you look at their three GC riders, the Yates twins and Chavez, you know, Chavez is, is probably at a, a rung above those guys in terms of what he's proven so it it does make sense for him to have a crack at at the tour, and uh, you know it's it, it's it's again it's a good it's good planning on behalf of uh, Orica Scott. You, you you can see that no one's uh, of course it's quotes from the team, but no one really sounds pissed off or anything like that about the program that they're doing. You you would have thought how how do you manage? Clearly, the, the Yates twins' eagerness to do the tour, but I, I think they've done well. 
is it not a little odd that the Yates brothers wouldn't go in, at least as a domestic role? Well, they've got Croix who go to do that. They've got Carlos Verona, um, who's a very good climber as well. And I think if you're going to... You're gonna you're gonna have to give them leadership opportunities, right. the Yates brothers. Oh no question. Yeah, and it makes more sense to do that from a time perspective. Um, to do that Giro Vuelta rather than Giro Tour or TDF Vuelta, mm-hmm. uh, I, th- I think is my impression of what I gleaned from that press release. Mm. <laughs> but I think it's great that Esteban's going. I mean, he was here in January. Everyone everyone loves him. Who doesn't like him? Like, is there anyone? Anyone? There'd be that. Kid down the road where he used to live in Colombia. I'm sure there's that one guy. Someone who he annoyed at school. Y- yeah, yeah. But yeah. I don't even... He would have smiled just at school. The teacher would have been like, oh, here's your homework. And he'd be like, thank you. A plus. Because <laughs> <laughs> he is that kind of guy, isn't he? Um, either way, like from an Australian perspective, it, it, it just does heighten uh, interest in the tour uh, for Australia because obviously mm. Richie Port is going to be a key figure. And now we can add uh, honorary Australian Esteban Chavez to uh, to that list. So it gives us a lot of talking points, mm. um, a lot to look out for. And Damien Housen's going to be up there doing what he did at the Giro for Esteban last year, but yep. doing it at the Tour this year. So Damien's down for the Tour team as well. And uh, I think that, you know, like we're, we're sort of cheering a Colombian by default, but um, first of all, because he's, he's a nice guy, but secondly, because he's on an Australian team. But thirdly, because he has got the potential to knock Froome off his perch. And one guy who's not in the squad will be uh, is um, Caleb Ewan, right? So that's been confirmed. Mm-hmm. And Caleb confirmed that overnight as well because he's in Abu Dhabi racing with the big hitters right. in the sprint in the sprint sprints there. Um, Everyone so, engaged by those races. Everyone really getting well, excited. Well, actually, I'm, I'm I am. For, I'm looking forward yes, to Abu Dhabi yeah. and seeing how yes. you know Greipel, Kittle, Cavendish, Ewan, uh, Paluki, Viviani go against each other. I mean, that's going to be. First entree to the really big sprints um, in the future. Didn't they serve up 14 superstars last night at the press conference or something like That's that? That's what With they said. Nibali and a whole yeah. host of others. Aru, Aru, Contador. Yeah. Right? There's some seriously good yeah, guys it's amazing. there. Yeah, Rui know, Costa's like, there. Rui, yeah. And then <laughs> overnight, they, and then two <laughs> nights ago, they explained that, uh, just to, to, to continue on the Arab theme, is that uh, Emirates is now co-naming right sponsor of the uh, the team that I actually forget the name of, Abu Dhabi, EAU or something. UAE, like. UAE, yeah. UAE Abu Dhabi. And, yeah, so uh, then now Emirates has come yes. on board. So in effect, as someone pointed out to me in an email yesterday, that's pretty much puts them on par with Sky in terms of budget. So they've gone from Lamprey, which was the basically minimal, like basically... Potential budget. Like, Well, potential, but like... Emirates is massive. It's true. Yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean they're pumping, you know, uh, yeah. 30 million in like Sky do. Or well, but yeah. maybe they will. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe you know, will. free first class flights for everybody. Yeah. Who knows? You know. Anyway. Yeah. The, the but point is, is it, that's a first investment in cycling for a while that hasn't come from a benefactor. Yes. Uh, that, I think that's key. Um, so I'll acknowledge it. Yep. Yeah, I might think about uh, flying Emirates next time. I, I'm prepared. I'm, I'm enjoying the I'm enjoying the uh, enjoying the races and th- these Arab races. Uh, there's a couple of reasons, and I wrote a blog about this about ways to you know ways to jazz up cycling uh, because these stages mm. are really a lot of them are just too long. Mm. So the thing I enjoy about the early season races, is Tour Down Under, etc., is that you've got 150k stages. Mm. Bada bing, bada boom, race is over. You get sprint. Two finish. guys are out the road. Yeah, they stay up the road for a long time or not. Yeah, uh, it's, a smooth, it's a smooth fest. Yeah. Right, so yeah. we need to we need to do something. So shorter stages work. Um, in the case of the Arab races, well, okay, yeah, we're gonna have more more sprint finishes. But if we have more sprint finishes and you bring in quality riders, like Kittel, mm. like Cav, like Greipel, 
like Ewan, like Viviani, etc., then that's where things get really interesting. Mm. So they make the races the races watchable. Yeah, I, I don't. There's one thing though. There's the the big the names or attracting slash paying the big names to be there. There's also the the racing element. Phil, I mean, you can't. I I still maintain there's there should only be you know ten really teams maximum in in the world tour. I I don't. I don't. I, I think it was also. It's you know you got the other end of the spectrum where you got the Tour de Cowie going on at the moment. There's one World Tour team. I don't think that's healthy. But you know, just for the actual World Tour itself, uh, um, you know, you're still going to get. You know, with the way it's structured, the way the point system is, you're still going to get a bunch sprint on, on those days where it's sort of made for. A, a sprint you, you know there's no to to make people th- to think that you know people are gonna stay up all night to to watch you know these guys duke it out yeah 150 kilometers later i think it's still a big ask still a big ask yeah mm. uh tour de Lankawi, uh overnight was 148 kilometers and then the sprint went for uh australian scott sunderland um that's about it, really, for, for sprint stages. I mean, gone are the days where you're going to have a 220-kilometer stage that finishes mm. in a sprint. I mean, mm. it's, it's just absurd. Mm-hmm. So, but I enjoy these, these Arab races precisely because they are start, middle, finish, and it's over very quickly. It's like having a quick cup of coffee. And they mm. fall well in the season because, like, mm. the classics are only, you know, an eye blink away, blink of an eye away. Well, yeah, yeah this weekend. Um, there you yeah. go. Exactly. <laughs> um, there's um, Omloop Om and uh, Kerner, Brussels Kerner, and uh, always the traditional entree to the classic season. And there's a you know the usual suspects turning up there. So we'll get the first look at who's going who's going quite well. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. So that's where I see the season. St- I, I just can't get enthused. I'm sorry about racing in the middle. Although having said that, I, I do miss Qatar. I love the, seeing those those guys fight in the crosswinds. In the crosswinds, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think Qatar was uh, was a loss. And actually, listening to the riders when that after that announcement was made, a lot of them said that they said we're going to miss this, especially mm. the Belgian guys, because they loved the loved the the, the wind, the crosswinds, mm. and it gave them good good a good chance to practice heading into the classics. Yeah. So. Isn't um, it weird how you're, you're doing Paris Nice? So that's that's just around the corner. That yep. sort of sneaks up quickly, first, doesn't it? First week in March. Gosh, it's just like that's right. You know, you're like the year, the year, and suddenly, what? Hang on, wait a minute. We're yep. there. We're there already. We're on the cold airs. And that's uh, Richie's next big goal. Richie Port's next big goal, uh-huh. and he said flat out that he wants to win it. All right. And BMC seems to win everything that they want. And you've got Ben Herman's one Tour of Oman, and then yep. uh, Rowan Dennis is in the lead of uh, the, some race in, in France. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Came second overnight. Life so, is hard, you know, bike racing in Provence. Life is hard at BMC, pretty much. Um, I mean, this <laughs> this is a whole. I don't want to have a massive winch, but this is a whole thing again. You've got a, about seven teams, you know, winning ninety percent well to, of the the races. It's it's not healthy. And and this is where I we get back to your point about only having 10, 10 world tour teams. Yeah. And this is where I think um, I enjoyed the, the Jake O'Hara Sun Tour a lot. Precisely because it didn't have mm. 
it wasn't riddled with the uh, with the uh, world tour teams and it had a nice mix of continental type teams and Pro seven, Cardi, ri- whatever. seven riders a team yeah yeah it was yeah. great it mm. was really good entertaining mm. entertaining racing mm. um so yeah we need to bring that back i think and uh, and reduce the number of world tour teams but i just don't i can't see any of the stakeholders trying to do that to be quite honest there's too many egos no because the, the uci it's it's a revenue generator mm. for them isn't it yeah the, the licensing yeah okay um next topic next topic mm. uh, rivers, rivers across the road at oman is that is that a topic that we're tackling or not uh, I don't know. do you do you want to is that oh, it? no i just want to say it's funny um, it's funny yeah. yeah, and nobody seriously got hurt, so we're kind of okay, aren't we? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Remember, what was the, what was the year at the tour uh, where, the, where the the water came in and covered over the in the on the passage the, de Guay. That's it. So yes. it started in uh, the, yeah. there was the time trial in '99 in Futuroscope and no, not Futuroscope. Anyway, Puy de Fou, and then the next day was on the passage de Guay, and there was a big crash. Yeah, but that was a tidal uh, causeway, so yeah. they timed it so that the the water wasn't there. There is a marathon for the record that is over the Passage de Guay as the tide comes in over it. And it can be quite dangerous. And the aim is that you have to, I don't know if it's a marathon or a distance race, but you have to run. And if the tide comes in and you're caught, you're dead. Then <laughs> you run or you die. Watch out. <laughs> it becomes a trap. Watch out. <laughs> exactly. But uh, right. so that was, yeah, I mean, that was the tour. But they also went back there in 2011. And they'll go back again in 2018 Ten. when the Grande Par is back down in the, in the Vendée. Yep. So they'll have to get their timing right. Otherwise, it's going to be super slippery. Exactly. Right, which is what happened. Mm. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, something interesting and unique that happened uh, uh, last week, which was, uh, and we'll close on this topic, by the way. Um, this is our last topic. This is our last topic. Oh, God, it went quick. Oh, Shane okay. Perkins, okay. Australian track cyclist of note, uh, has been effectively cut out of the Australian track cycling picture and has been racing uh, Kieran's in Japan, etc., but he's on the outer, or you know, has been for some time, and I guess the the the, the, the high performance people feel that there's no point in uh, in pumping any more money into Shane that he's pretty well maxed out at the level that he's at, and that's that, and he's not going to be on an Australian team, so he's decided to throw in his lot with Russia, and he's going to take out Australian or Russian mm. citizenship. We've been Facebook chatting, but we haven't. He was in Colombia on the weekend, and he had terrible connections, so we couldn't actually speak. But I don't I don't understand how he. Is, is it? I was just the obvious question: Is his mum? Is his, where's the connection? There is none. Well, you naturalise. You just um, you go just over there, establish residency, and you know yeah. eventually and the job is done. So did he? Did he? I mean, obviously we saw the press release, and you know, did he intimate that there were any other reasons other than that? I mean, it seems like a really strange choice. I, I got to tell you, it was like came Couldn't out of left field to me. I was just like, what? Really? Didn't Anthony? No, Anthony Peden was always a Kiwi. Couldn't he go to? I don't know, Russia. I know that's. I that's, like Shane a lot. I, I, no, the, I, I like yeah, Russia, and you know I've got Russian friends. But, but I don't know. It just seems like I don't know. At least someone said, "Why don't we call him Shane Perkins Lovinov?" But it, the, the timing's also for me. The timing's also wrong. Okay, I, look, I, I I'll defend his right to make a choice because it's his personal mm. choice. But given all that's happening with Russia and sport at the moment, uh-huh, I yeah, think it's yeah. the optics are really bad. Yeah, race right? for Japan, man. Uh, yeah, well, why not Japan? Yeah. Right, he he obviously has an affinity for the culture. Mm. He's over there often enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so the to whole me, family's been over there yeah, often. Yeah, it's just that mm. that seemed to me that seems to me like a much better fit. And the Japan uh, outfit looks so cool. The Russian outfit looks <laughs> makes him look enormous. Have you noticed? <laughs> That's like, right. It's just like it's like an explosion. It's like a, <laughs> maybe Japan didn't offer him the 
Oh, I'm sure there's reasons. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that wasn't his first choice. I mean, these are the things that, this is the thing with track cycling, isn't it? Um, This is what things that athletes have to do to, if they want to continue to compete. I, I remember interviewing him when he was in his first season racing Kieran in Japan. I mean, it's, it's bloody hard, you know, he's, he's kind of, they're, they're sort of, uh, Put a pri- imprisoned almost in, in in that system for um, weeks on end and or yeah months on end and it's you know it's uh, they're almost treated like greyhounds in a way. Uh, I, I don't. I, I, I yeah like I said I sort of empathise with his situation. I mean if yeah if you're not going to get funding from the um, the AIS you, you've got you've got to go somewhere and he and he wants to continue racing. When you talked to him, was there any sensitivity to the idea that um, that Australia had invested in him as an athlete in a significant manner uh, for, for for a long time, and he's take effectively taking that investment somewhere else? I'm kind of surprised, actually. The, the way that they got rid of Shane from the national program was pretty unceremonious. Like yeah, they just basically I agree with said, that. Um, hmm. "By the way, can you give us your back your track bike and um, see, we won't see you at the next training and uh, see you later." And, and that's he's not Robinson Crusoe in the track program that that's happened to. It's it's a bit of it's it's it's, it's another discussion that one. Hmm. But uh, I don't. Uh, I think he's still been pretty, quite for all of the way that the, has that he was evicted from the national program. He's uh, in the press release last week was certainly very complimentary to Cycling Australia. I think he's recognised that they did invest in him. They, uh, but as as a, as opposed to like a hex return, you're sort of saying like a you know as in paying back the yep. the debt. Yep. I'm not. I'm not certain because when he was racing for Australia, he did really well. He was one of the few guys who beat Chris Hoy in the house in time, in the Kieran, and that's when he won his world title, and that was amazing. Watch that again. And the, the Kieran world title he won was really like that's good, fantastic yeah. to watch. And um, and and so he he did give the return to the investment that Australian put in him. Yeah, and it's not like Australia's beating down the door to get him back on the team, so he's got to take his talent somewhere. Mm. And. Um, well, but it, there's probably better places than Russia, as we've discussed. But um, you know, it's all when you when you're a track athlete, it's all about getting support to do what you want because there's not enough money in it to make a living off it unless you go and do like Kieran as he as he did over in Japan. So yeah. he's tried to make his own way and do the do the right thing and uh, work his way back into the Australian team. That hasn't worked, so he needs to you know find other avenues to progress to progress. Yeah. I mean, is it any different from, say, you know, a high-profile Australian coach going to, uh, I don't know, uh, work Great for Britain. a rival Britain. team like, GB. you know, uh, Eddie Jones, were, you know, work going from uh, the Wallabies coach to the Brits? I mean, people see that as almost uh, un-Australian or it whatever is. you want to call it. Well, you did Defecting. Japan in there as well, so he's, yeah, he's on the Shane Perkins. Or Heiko Siles Weedle going from the Aussies to the Brits to German, German to China, Russia. you know, he's, he's, it's wherever you, if you want to keep racing, it's wherever your services are, are wanted, isn't it? And it's not for us to determine when he should hang up the wheels, even though perhaps he, he is past his best. But I think it's indicative of the comedy that sport's become. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Like uh, I don't, I can't race for, race for Australia. I can't get on the national team. Uh, oh, well, I'll go to Russia. And and of course, in Shane's in Shane's defence, I mean, we see this with say Kenyan runners, for example. Right. Right. So Kenyan marathon is so deep, 
and an Olympic Games might only take three, mm. and they will have 15 guys who could run mar- mm. Olympic marathon qualifying times. So they end up running for Sweden or, you know, some strange yeah, country uh, we, somewhere. Uzbekistan. Yeah, you know? we can't get holier than thou about mm. this. We've taken, you know, Romanian weightlifters and true uh, to get better to get better for the Sydney we, 2000 uh, the, the, Olympics. Oh, Australia. Yes, yeah. I thought you meant us, like the four of us here. No, yeah. I, I did do a homestay for a Romanian <laughs> weightlifter. No, no, of course not. So, um, no, so we can't we can't get on our high horse about this sort of stuff. I mean, we do it all the time, and we did it with uh, Kate Garfoot, for instance. She's That's German. Right. She's German born, oh, and yeah. she's winning stuff. For yeah, us but she's living here. Shane, has he ever? Well, she lived in New Zealand for a long time as well. I mean, yeah, but so. she, they're, they're, they've been on the Gold Coast for years. It's, I mean, and she's made a lifestyle here. I don't know if Shane's spent a lot of time in Russia. Huh? Him and him and Putin, they're on the phone to each other every day. Oh yeah, hanging out, yeah, hanging out. You know, yeah. I mean, I, don't, I like discussing that, Donald I Trump. Know. It's a, yeah. it's an interesting predicament. I mean, I there, weren't we talking earlier in the podcast about some Colombian guy who hasn't lived in Australia, and now we're <laughs> yeah, but he's not him. racing the Olympics for Australia. <laughs> he's racing the Tour de France for an Australian team. I guess the way if he, that, if he yeah. would like to race the Olympics for Australia, <laughs> we could maybe. See, this we is could, a whole thing. Braxy, like, are you calling him Braxy or Steve? Yeah. Yeah. Steve you know, Braxy. What can you do for us, fellow? Yeah, that's right. You're a politician. Okay. On that note, I think we're going <laughs> to we're going to wind it up, um, and that's it. Uh, that's it for today. And uh, we'll uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again uh, next time. And uh, we'll be talking about Perry Nice and the track nats and God Tra- knows what else. Lots of things. Probably cycling. Yeah. Probably some bike riding. I'm going to Definitely. call it some scandals going to arise in the next two weeks. So we oh, can talk oh, about that. Okay. Well, we'll there talk we about the, the pending scandal that Jamie's going to talk about. It's going to be about Rui Costa. I'm sure of it. All right. Hey, Phil, can you do us a little favor? Yes. Can you put a shout out to make people um, write in and tell us what they'd like us to talk about? Oh, yeah. Can you do that rather no, they than can, me? I can, do, I can do that every time okay. on, on Twitter. I can just throw okay. out a poll. Okay. Right? So oh. you hear you heard Rob say it. Um Tell us on Twitter what you'd like to, like us to talk about. It's uh, it'll be a good uh, good opportunity to just do something off tangent. So, and that'll be it for us today. And uh, we'll see you again next time.